We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening. I was walking through the lobby this morning at St. Luke's, and there's always someone at the front desk. Uh, and today is a sweet woman I know, and she said, happy Ash Wednesday. Uh, and then she, like, her face kind of contorted a little bit, and she was like, that's not right. <laughs> I know, just saying it, it doesn't sound right. What do you say? She's asking me, what do you say on Ash Wednesday? And I didn't have a very good answer. <laughs> uh, I was like, I don't know, Ash Wednesday observed or today is Ash Wednesday, just kind of declare it. But then what I said, uh, and I was kind of joking, more joking, I said, oh, what about repent? Like, what if people came in as they came in today, and as you saw them, you just looked at them and said, repent? Uh, and she was like, I'll try that, and she facetiously. So then I went about my day, and then I'm walking through the lobby on my phone, and I hear this ominous voice say, Repent. And I look up and it's her at the front desk. Uh, she took my advice. And I think it's because we're never quite sure what to do with Ash Wednesday. We're not quite sure what to do with, with Good Friday either, which we'll observe here in just about 40 days. And it's because we're really good at celebrating. Like we know what to do on Easter. We know what to do on Christmas. Like there's going to be food involved, none of which will be sprinkled with ashes. Uh, we're going to fill ourselves, we're going to be merry, we're going to have conversations and tell stories and sing songs and lift our voices and smile. But then Ash Wednesday, as I've observed it and come to understand it, is not a day for that. And it's okay to be happy on Ash Wednesday, I hope you're happy. <laughs> uh, but when we observe it, when we really like give ourselves to it, when we really look at it, uh, it's a curious thing. It's ugly in some way. Uh, it's a spectacle in another way uh, that if you go early in the morning and get ashes on your head, then you're confronted with like, uh, you've branded all these people at work. Like uh, they went to church, they didn't. Uh, they went to church, they didn't, whatever else. And maybe if you're looking for a partner or a spouse and you're looking for one that's a Christian, you're like, it's pretty obvious. Uh, people with ashes on their head, people are not. Not that all Christians observe it or go in the morning. It's a hard thing because then you go about your regular day if you go in the morning or you go at noon on your lunch break and you get the ashes on your forehead on your hand and then uh, inevitably you rub them off. And then you come in the evening and it's maybe a little more somber because it's dark outside and you had a long day and it's easier to take it then but we still don't quite know what to do with it. I think it's because, uh, maybe this is just a guess, that we have a hard time with hard feelings that we have a hard time embracing our sadness. We have a hard time embracing our brokenness. We have a hard time embracing our grief. Not embracing it like, oh, I really want to have it, but it's there, what do I do with it? It's a companion to me. The Bible talks about that. I, I, I've been crying on weeping all day long. Grief is my only companion. And we felt that way before. And even if we've had like in a really amazing day, Ash Wednesday comes and we're supposed to come and feel bad about ourselves. Well, that's what people say. And I think there's maybe another way to look at it. I heard uh, another preacher this week say, Ash Wednesday is the anti-self-help holiday. I love that and hated that at the same time uh, because I actually really like self-help books. 
Uh, I like leadership books. I like books that kind of give you the hack or the kind of steps to do. Like, I want to become a better leader. I want to become a better person. I want to become a better manager. I want to help myself to learn. I want to lead myself. Uh, one of those books is Make Your Bed. You guys ever read that book? Very short. You could read it in an afternoon. I've read it. Great book. Has not had an impact. Uh, didn't make the bed today. Didn't the past several days. It is my job. I'm usually the last one to leave. Great book. Not put into practice. <laughs> uh, and, and it's an anti-self-help holiday, I think, uh, because... Uh, it tells us something, especially as we read in Joel and the other texts that you might read on Ash Wednesday, that, that you can't help yourself. That actually people that did try to help themselves failed. And when they tried to help themselves more, it got worse. And when they ignored God's guidance and they didn't want God's opinion or his help, it got even worse. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City, maybe you've heard of him, a really popular author, super smart guy. Um, and he says, we do this curious thing where we affirm with our lips and with our mind that God is the God of the universe and he's created the cosmos and the human genome is like uh, and, and kind of hard to understand and, and he's created all these beings and a variety of creation and, and the, the cosmos are far beyond anything we could ever understand or imagine and there's stars we'll never even know exist and there's worlds out there we don't see and there's a microscopic world all around us that we can't see and it all happens and moves and it's beautiful and ugly at the same time and, and God created it and not just that, he's holding it in his very hand, and what Christians often want to do is say, that God's amazing. I'd like to take his advice from time to time, that he's the God of the universe, and we're like, you know, occasionally when I feel bad, I'll reach out to him for his advice. <laughs> in the meantime, I'll help myself, I'll white knuckle it, I'll do what I think is right, and then if it gets hard, this God guy, sounds like he knows what he's doing, <laughs> so I'll reach out to him. And, and that's the picture that we get in Joel, a, a people all across the Old Testament who have been blessed by God, been followed by God, been walked alongside by God, and he's helped them, and he's blessed them, and he's loved them, and he's reached out to them even when they were jerks, and he drew close to them, and they pushed him away. And they said, no, we can do this. We don't need you until it got hard. And then in Joel, it's like, what do we do? <laughs> and it's this long list of things to do. So those first two verses, I'm going to repeat them. Let's start this way. This announcement, blow the horn in Zion, that is, make it clear, make a loud noise so everyone pays attention that in God's city that this is about to happen. Give a shout on the holy mountain, this place familiar to everyone. Let all the people of the land tremble, be scared, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. And my grandma asked me one time, she had this worship song she loved, and it talked about the day of the Lord, and it was this kind of, in a major key, like really beautiful, like um, comforting song, and she was like, what is the day of the Lord? It's so, I love the song, it's so sweet. It's like, oh, grandma. Uh, the day of the Lord in the Old Testament isn't always a beautiful thing. It's this terrifying thing because it's, it's this, this promise that, that, that God has seen all this going on and he's like, if you want me to come, I'll come, but it's gonna be hard. If you want me to help you, if you want me to guide you, it's gonna require that you change. I'm gonna rend your heart, not your garment. I'm not gonna change your outside appearance. I'm gonna change something deep within you. Uh, you guys know this happens. You guys, most of you probably have smartphones. That when a new iPhone comes out, um, yours, if it's just a couple of generations old, starts to not work. Uh, it's a real thing. It's called planned obsolescence. It's a real thing. And actually, like, Apple's, like, facing a class action lawsuit about it because it's like, they plan for your phone to fail, so you'll buy the new one. And it works. My phone starts to fail. I'm like, I got to get the new one. I have to have it. 
That's what Joel is talking about, that like there's planned obsolescence in the human story, that the more you work with your own idea, your own will, the own way you think that you ought to go, the more it fails. And then it draws you, it pushes you, it thrusts you toward somebody else. And what Joel wants to point to is God. That's what those first two verses talk about. But if we we jump to that second part, and it gives all these imperatives of what to do, that's kind of where I want to land today, and maybe give you some advice about what it might mean to practice Lent, to begin here today, and for 40 days to do something that might transform your heart, that you might draw closer to God, and that the resurrection on Easter Sunday morning might be that much sweeter. Because we talk about our mortality and our brokenness and our hurt. There's a podcast I listen to called My Brother, My Brother and Me, uh, disclaimer, adults only. Uh, but it's uh, three brothers, and it's an advice podcast, and I put advice in quotes because um, they don't give good advice. And it says at the beginning of the uh, uh, episodes not, not to take their advice. And one time they got a question. A man had written in and said, hey, uh, I'm having a hard time with my girlfriend. She says I don't talk about my feelings enough, uh, or I'm really bad at talking about my feelings. And then it it cracked open for all the brothers, uh, Justin, Travis, uh, and Griffin, how they dealt with their own emotions. So Justin says he's, quote, a big-eyed person, which means he could cry at any moment. (laughs) Uh, Travis kind of resonated with the writer of the question that he has a hard time with his emotions. And the youngest brother, Griffin, uh, he said every time he has to start talking about or thinking about hard things, he wants to take a nap. Uh, I deeply feel that. (laughs) Like, this is tiring. I'm ready to go to sleep. And uh, they say, hey, can we try that really quick? Let's start thinking about our mortality. And Ben starts shouting, you know, oh, no, it's all going to end one day. And he's like, this is, I'm sure I am tired. I'm ready to take a nap. God gives better advice than taking a nap when we're confronted with our own mortality, our own brokenness, uh, with this call to repent. And these are some of the things that he says. So now what? Blow the horn on the mountain, so mark the time. We're going to mark the time today with ashes on our forehead. We can also mark the time by doing the same thing every morning. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer every morning for 40 days. Pray a shorter prayer, God have mercy on me, every morning for 40 days. Pray a psalm, starting at Psalm 1 and just as far as you get, even if you skip a day, every morning. Mark your time. That's a way that God says that we can respond to this day that is coming. Fast. Uh, It doesn't just mean refrain from eating, but give something up. This is kind of the classic Lenten discipline, that there's things that we hold on to, we have a tight grip on, that it even makes us nervous to think about letting go. Whatever one makes you feel the weirdest about letting go, that might be the one (laughs) to fast. Uh, A symbol, we're doing it right now. Good job, A+. Uh, that maybe over the course of 40 days, the best thing that you can do is center yourself and circle around with other people that you can have hard conversations with and say, I struggle with this, or I'm broken in this way, or I need your help with this, or I like your advice about that. There's this one uh, that really impacted me today in reading it again. He says, there's going to be weeping from the porch to the altar. And he's talking about a very specific way of worshiping, that the priests, uh, they would walk in and worship, they would always process in, that for this kind of worship, that they would start outside, and they would cry all the way until they got to the table where they would sacrifice things. Um, and I said, for the priests, um, I'm not going to do that. Uh, you won't see me here every day, like standing outside and crying and walking in every day. Um, I'm a one tier person. It would, it would be pretty non-dramatic. Uh, but I think what, what it's talking about is that for these 40 days, we adopt 
uh, and we embrace our feelings. We adopt and embrace uh, what it means to be broken. There's kind of two ways that the church and Christians have held on to um, Lent and what we say, this idea of repentance. And I think both of them are wrong. And I think there's a, a better way that we can think of them. Both of them it, it require us to be individuals and we're kind of taught to be individuals and self-sufficient. And, and one of these ways says that you're broken, you're a worm, you're dirt, you're worth nothing. And so 40 days, look in the mirror and be like, get it together, you're awful. And that's one way of thinking about like, me, 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 me. Uh, I'm so bad, I'm so bad. The good news is you're not half as bad as God is good. The, the other one is you, you say, you look inside yourself for 40 days and you're like, there's actually something like really, really good in there. And there's some truth to that. You're made in the image of God, you're beautiful. But then it becomes this thing of like, for 40 days I prayed and now I shine and float around when I walk. I've kind of become this holy person. I spent 40 days, you know, bolstering up my Christian life. And now on Easter Sunday, I might just like blast up into the sky. I'm so good, you know? And again, it's me, 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 me. And the same answer is true. You're not half as bad as God is good. And you're not near as good as God is good. But what Joel does, what, how jo Joel refocuses us and he says, stop thinking about yourself. Try it just for 40 days. Don't Think about yourself. Be anti-self-help. Don't take your own advice. Depend totally, wholly on God. And I'm saying this and shuddering to myself because I don't like the advice. Because I think I have some really good ideas and really good ways to run my own life. But I want to confess. I got to confess. I'm paid to confess <laughs> that God has better ideas than I do. <laughs> and to tell you that, that, that God gives better guidance than you can give yourself, that I could even give you, that, that, that we're, we're invited at this beginning of the season when we mark ourselves to say we belong to God and he loves us and desires to be close to us, that when we say, look, God, look at my dirt, look at my dust, look at my ashes, God says, look at my dirt, look at my ashes, because he came to be with us in Jesus. He came to walk alongside us. He didn't say, ooh, gross, get away from me. You're filthy, you're undeserving, you're unloved. He said, let me be with you. And that's my prayer for us, for myself during these 40 days of Lent, that we would experience in the ashes, in the brokenness, in the sign of the cross, in the dust, God's presence in Christ. Landon and I, we lived at this house in West Houston and it had a gas fireplace and it never worked. It was a huge disappointment. And then the power went out in that February and it was like the saddest thing ever. And so we were subjected to warming ourselves around a Weber grill a couple of times. And so uh, one time though, we were trying to figure out this gas fireplace and we knew that the gas was hooked up to it. We weren't exactly sure that the flue was open and we were gonna light it. And I turned the gas key and I saw the ashes start to move. Um, we were here, we, everything was okay. I didn't light up. You know the gas was moving because the ashes were moving because the gas was underneath it making it move. It was blowing up through the, the tube and the ashes were moving all around. My brain was dumb for a second. I thought it was like a bug or a rat or something, but it was the gas. And I thought about that today, thinking about how like if I had, and I did not because I could smell it, if I had lit it, we would have had fire for sure. <laughs> not what we wanted. <laughs> But underneath the ashes, there was this potential. There was this power. There was even the promise of fire if we wanted it or if I had made the mistake of lighting it. 
When you receive the ashes today, with Joel, with the prophets of the Old Testament, with the whole story from Genesis to Revelation, I hope you see that power underneath the ashes, the potential under it. Not when you put the ashes on your head like, I'm dead, I'm nothing, but that the ashes came from fire. The ashes came from life. The ashes came from light. And underneath them, in Christ's ashes, new life came. And on you, that same mark is true, that Jesus was the first of the resurrected ones. And when we mark ourselves with the ashes, we say, it's not life than death, it's death then life. And so we look all the way back at Genesis and we see that God blew breath into a pile of dirt and a man came out. And we look at this other prophet, Ezekiel, and there was this pile of crusty bones and God blew on that too and those bones lived again and they danced around and they spoke. And then Jesus, he had this friend named Lazarus, uh, Lazarus who was in a tomb and he was in there for four days and he started to stink. He was that dead. Uh, the King James says he stinketh. Uh, and uh, he smelled and Jesus brought him to life. And then today, we, on Ash Wednesday, we start to take steps and steps closer to this precipice of Easter Sunday where Jesus himself bore the same that Adam and Ezekiel and Lazarus did. He died. He was dirt. He was nothing. There was nothing left. He wasn't resuscitated. He wasn't a little bit to, uh, uh, alive and then brought back to full life. He was gone. He was ashes. So don't see today as like, feel sorry for yourself. I don't want you to beat yourself up for 40 days. I want you to know the power that it is that God is a God of resurrection, but to get there first, we start at dust and ashes because then we see the power of what God can do. And we say, and this is icky for some people, but I think it's true, we dare God to do it again. We dare God to take dead things and make them alive. We dare God to, to look at ashes and say, life can come out of that. Life can come out of the dirt because God can do it. I can't do it. I can't self-help my way into bringing new life, but God can. There's potential and power in the ashes. So when you're marked with them today, when you see the sign of the cross, remember that and hold on to the hope, even when it seems so lost and there's not a lot of light, that underneath it, it's moving and there's power and God's behind it and he's with you every step of the way. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, let us see the beauty in the ashes, your power in the dirt, the fire in what's lost, the life in what seems dead. And as we mark the beginning of the season, help us not feel bad for your, ourselves or feel pride for ourselves, but feel love and affection for you and attention to you and worship of you. Make us mindful of your presence these 40 days and whatever it means, whatever steps you can give us, whatever practices or disciplines we can share with one another, Give that to us in this moment as we worship you and as we bear this sign of the cross. Make us always remember it in your name. Amen.